You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. First Friday of the new year. Matt, Lars, Wyatt, the gang is all here as we bring you the show just after noon. Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. Lars, we're just going through some of the college football sites and... It's just amazing to me. It's all about transfers. It's all about the portal. And the latest that I see here is that Quinshawn Judkins, outstanding, all SEC running back from Ole Miss, he's entered the portal. And many of these sites are indicating that he may go to Alabama or Michigan. He's the number one player in the portal now, for sure. He he should be. I mean, he's he's from Pike County, Alabama. He's a hell of a running back. But I just always thought, and here's what I get for thinking when it comes to the transfer portal. I've always thought that guys that were really comfortable and, and really he fits what Lane Kiffin wants to do. I was really surprised by this, although, as I just said, I should be beyond being surprised, Lars. How are you today, by the way? Doing great. Doing great here at the uh, mothership at Tide 100.9. Good to be in studio. Got uh, stuff to do on campus because classes are starting next week and uh, things are rolling. And we're, you know, we're in that awkward, weird stage, Matt, where we're transitioning from football to college hoops. And, uh, you know, Alabama's got an important game this weekend uh, playing Vandy. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just all systems go. I had a nice little chat with uh, Christian Miller uh, just before the show. And, and Christian does such a great job of breaking down plays. And uh, he was explaining to me what Michigan did on, you know, that fourth and two late in the game uh, when, when Michigan went for it in their own territory and just how they confused the Alabama defense. And they did it all day long. And, and uh, just Michigan showed things on offense that they hadn't displayed all season. <laughs> and so Alabama had to react. And, and you could see that in, in the defensive backfield, just the, the confusion of kind of who's got who and, and how are you supposed to react when they're showing formations that they hadn't showed all season. And, you know, uh, you just have to give a lot of respect to Michigan and their coaches and uh, not only did I think they, I, you know, I, I hate to say this for Alabama fans, but it certainly seems like the Michigan coaching staff outcoached the Alabama staff in that game just because of the confusion you saw on the Alabama defenders, Matt. And how he got that wide open. You know, it's just that you don't see Alabama, even this year's version of Alabama, you just didn't see them get caught in the busted defenses. And as you just mentioned, Lars, it wasn't the first time. Probably wasn't the last time, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, I, I think what everybody has settled into as far as the vernacular here is out-schemed because people just don't want to say that Nick Saban and his staff yeah. got out-coached. But I don't know in this particular case is if there's a heck of a difference between the two because uh, Michigan, Michigan succeeded in confusing Alabama's Defense, and I don't know that Alabama's defense did the vice versa on that. So uh, we'll see. Did Christian offer anything else? I was not. We were not privy to that conversation. I'd like. Uh, to yeah, and then we uh, we talked about the the last play of the game, and uh, you know it's a low snap, so that disrupts the timing. 
And then Latham absolutely got blown up on that last play. I mean, he got pancaked, right, from the right side. And uh, the Alabama's tight end kind of missed a block. And suddenly, you know, the low snap, things are off kilter. And bam. I mean, it was the, the, the play call was quarterback power and uh, didn't work out. Although, you know, I, I think with a, with a good snap and Jalen doesn't have to put his eyes down and then take his eyes back up, I think he sees that there is a, a hole there to, the, to his left. But, um, yeah, it's football. Football way, comes it? down to just, uh, I mean, it's the simple things. And I, and I mentioned this yesterday, you know, uh, it was Casey Stengel, manager, uh, who said, you don't win games, you lose games. You know, and I think Alabama lost that game as much as Michigan won it. But you have to give Michigan credit because... They're uh, big boys on the offensive line and defensive line. I would say that they outplayed Alabama's lines, and I did not see that coming. I absolutely did not see that coming. I, you know, I, I thought Alabama was going to win by seventeen. And shows you that Vegas knows a heck of a lot more than Lars Anderson. Well, uh, it looked to me like they were going to be real close at one point, but uh, anyway, Nick Saban was on with uh, McAfee yesterday. And he went through that last play again. He said that uh, they lined up and they really liked what Michigan's defense was showing them. Then Harbaugh called timeout. Then um, Alabama went back out. They they did not like what they were seeing in Michigan's defensive alignment. So they called a timeout. And then when they went back out there, they were really supposed to have a couple of plays, and they just went with the one instead yeah. of checking off to the two. Yeah, I heard that, and Saban said, that's on me. Yep, and it is, you know, um, because basically they went to the line of scrimmage after two timeouts with one play. Yeah. And when it got, you know, it was thrown off its timing with the bad snap, then there was really, there was one 1A one and 1B, and they were all for... Milrow to go right up the gut and it it almost looked like to me Lars that Alabama's blocking scheme um, was not there either Uh, because let's face it they were on the three what did he make it to the two if that yeah yeah. Um, so, I mean, like the, the said, play though, just, it, it just didn't work you know it just didn't work I, I would be interested <laughs> I would love to know the closed door conversation back at Malmore Athletic Facility that uh, Nick Saban had with Tommy Reese on uh, whenever they got back and how that conversation went. I think they were ready to run the football. I don't think pass was an option. Isn't that what you read into it? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, well, I've maintained since the morning after the game that, uh, gee, it, it just looked to me like, sure, Milrow's powerful. He's strong. He, he's capable of making that play. But it didn't seem to me like Alabama was losing, was using his other asset, and that's his speed. He's the fastest guy on the field. Why not give him an option to go to the corner and outrun and then outpower anybody? You know, and, and Christian, so. uh, when we were talking, also made the point to me that how did the teams that Alabama had trouble with early in the season play Milrow? They pressured Pressure, pressure, pressure. What did Michigan do? Just pressure all day. And then once Alabama 
was forced to, uh, you know, try to push the ball down the field. They dropped their DB. They just did not let anyone get behind them, right? Even their corners. And it looked like they were playing a lot of zone. And then you pick up a guy who runs into your zone. And then the safeties would be be even behind the corner. They weren't going to let Jalen do what uh, he does, uh, I think, uh, almost as good as running the ball. And it's throwing the deep ball. They were not going to let Jalen hit a deep wide receiver. And, and so and so then you force him to uh to check down or hit those inter- intermediate throws and and again we saw several times in the game where there were open wide receivers uh in the 10 to 15 yard range and he just missed it. I mean so it's it's there are certainly areas that he will improve upon and I think he's going to be substantially better uh in September. Right with an off season now of tape and analysis and uh, understanding of what Alabama wants to do and and you know when you see a coverage here you go over here, so I think uh, the expectations for Jalen are and should be very high for next season. I wonder where where do you think Alabama? I mean, I, I guess this requires a deeper dive, Matt. But just off the top of your head, where do you think Alabama will be ranked in preseason polls? Fifth. Yeah. Me too. Like somewhere that. in there. Um, somewhere in there. Uh, one more note on that, and we'll get to Rick Carley, who's our first guest of the day. Mark Godfrey will be joining us a little later on in the program. But I've maintained this throughout the week as well, that uh, Michigan not only put pressure on Milrow, but they also kept it to the point where he couldn't beat him with a scramble. They just, inside the cut block, they just kept pounding from the outside. They weren't going to allow him to escape. And uh, that certainly hurt because uh, we all know what Jalen can do once he gets outside the pocket. So, okay. We've got lots of stuff to talk about. As I mentioned, Mark Godfrey will be with us. But coming up in just a couple of minutes, we will be joined by our good friend for for many, many years, Rick Carley, who has since retired from television for now, um, from Channel 13. And we spoke earlier in the week, and uh, we're going to speak again on air, live, as you listen to Big Noon Sports Brought to you, presented in part by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Increasingly cloudy this afternoon. Rain becoming widespread tonight across Alabama. The high today, 54. Tonight's low, 42. Tomorrow, rain ending early in the day. The clouds will linger through the afternoon hours. The high at 55. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 51 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More Big Noon Sports coming up. (laughs) 
Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Tensing Union Home Mortgage. And joining us now on the show is Rick Carley, longtime broadcaster, television broadcaster, not just in, in Birmingham, but he uh, started his career. I, I think I first met him in Jacksonville when he was in Jacksonville. But that being the case, you've decided to finally hang up the IFB. They even call him that anymore. How you doing? <laughs> Do they call, what do they call him now? <laughs> that's awesome well you know you know guys i i might not be hanging up the ifb totally so you know you never you know once that tv stuff gets in your blood never uh-huh. gonna leave but uh yeah i needed a break from the morning so i was doing mornings at channel 13 and it's uh you know you used to work there matt wonderful people there and uh you know that alarm going off at two fifteen in the morning Mm. At age uh, 66, is uh, is pretty draining on the old Rick, body. So, Rick, how, how long did it take you to adjust? How long did your body it take your body to get back into normal uh, human hours? You know, you mean once I left? Yeah, uh, once you left. Yeah. yeah. Oh, about uh, two or three days. And, and again, it's it's you know some people love the mornings. If I loved it when I got to work, it's just getting there. You know, mm-hmm. see, so, yeah, it, it's funny the whole thing switched for me. It was for. 39 years as sports anchor so you know you're working all day collecting stories and getting tips and editing and then you're doing the evening news suddenly it's it's opposite you get up at 2 a.m you shower you shave you put on the suit the makeup you try to look good at 4 a.m and and then you go out after the news three hours of news and do more work out in the field after that so you know once i was at work i thought uh, i had a great time but uh, it is uh and draining and some of that's on me i never know when to quit you know, so I'm I'm working 12, 13 hours a day when I probably shouldn't have, but uh, but anyway, we'll we'll see what happens. There's uh, maybe an IFB in my uh, in my left ear, you know, down the road sometime. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, enjoy your time off. I know you won't stay dormant very long at all. And when yeah. you're ready, yeah. let us know what you're going to do because we'll be glad to help you out in that area and and any others as well. Uh, Rick, you let's uh, let's give you an opportunity because we've been replaying it on air all week long, and maybe you've got something new to shed some light on. But uh, Alabama, Michigan in overtime. Yeah, you know I don't. I think it's all been said. I think uh, Bama was out physical, and uh, you know that's. Uh, I was really impressed. You know that my first reaction was I watching that game the first quarter. I have uh, two sisters. I've got three sisters up in Michigan. A lot of in-laws all went to Michigan. They're all big blue. They're all excited. Uh, you know, uh, bless their hearts. But my first reaction was, what are they feeding these linemen? I mean, those offensive linemen look like they were giants and, uh, and on defensive on the defensive line as well. So I think that was a, a big war won by the Wolverines the other night. You know, the last play kind of blew up. A lot of people uh, uh, blaming, uh, blaming McLaughlin. But, you know, I, I, you know they... They had one play call. They called this time out. They had another play call. And, and, and Coach Saban admitted the other day, or said the other day, which I thought was really interesting. He said on that last play, we should have had a second option to go to. You know, most plays you have a second or third option if if you are quick enough to react. Well, look, it is as if Jalen Monroe, the offensive lineman, did not react in time. He just tried to run it up the middle, and he didn't go to option two. Now, that's easier for, for us to say. We're just watching it, you know, drinking a beer or whatever we're doing. But but uh, uh, Coach Saban did uh, a touch on that, saying that that's option two was not gone over perhaps uh, closely enough and that might have uh, cost him a touchdown who knows i mean you can't say but uh but yeah that kind of blew up on on the uh, final score but uh, other than that i think everything said you know the good news is you know don't forget 
this could have been Coach Saban's best coaching job ever. He took a team that was down and out after South Florida. A lot of question marks. The offensive line was really struggling at that point. Uh, Milrow was struggling. Uh, you know, Buckner didn't work out. Simpson, so... Here comes Milrow, and and uh, I think he did a great job in coaching. And, uh, you know, we'll see what next year holds, I guess. What was your biggest surprise uh, that took place in the, in the Rose Bowl? Because I did not see this coming at all. I, I thought Alabama would win by more than two touchdowns, and uh, yeah. oh, I was absolutely incorrect on that. Yeah, I, I, I was just surprised at the way that the, the interior, that the, the, the team both ways was being uh, physically manhandled. I mean, maybe manhandled is over the top. I mean, Bama did a great job of the second half coming back. And, you know, talented, you think of Bama's strength and speed and, you know, the greatest athletes in the country in the SEC. I thought Michigan just, you know, they kind of handed him that upper Midwest corn-fed hulking physicalness, if that's a word, that, really surprised me. I mean, it's just surprised. Now, in the second half, they got Milrow moving out of the pocket a little bit, which was, right, of course, we're all experts on that front, but Reese and Saban and those guys said, look, we got to get this guy moving. And they did a great job. But I think if there was a surprise, it was the way, in my mind, that uh, Bama was pushed around a little bit. That surprised me. Our guest is Rick Carley on Big Noon Sports. Lars asked me this question just a minute ago. I'll just re-ask to you. If you were doing the way too early, way too early, way too early top 25, where would mm-hmm. Alabama be in your list going into 24? Oh, geez, I've got to count up all the transfers and all the, yeah. you know, all the, the NFL show. things. Yeah, I mean, that's another show with Taryn Arnold and, uh, and McKinstry, and I guess Malachi Moore is going to stay, and, uh, you know, we'll see. But I, I think when it all washes out, you know, I've always used the line for 17 years uh, since uh, Coach Saban arrived. Uh, you know, Coach, uh, you know, Nick Saban doesn't uh, he doesn't re- recruit; he drafts. <laughs> he, just, he just reloads. So there's other five stars out there. Of course, player development is his big thing. So, you know, I don't know. I would put him. I haven't. I haven't broken it down. I would probably put him fifth, sixth. Yeah, you know, that's what exactly what Matt said. Matt said five, yeah. and that, that sounds about right to me. Maybe a little yeah. higher. Yeah. Uh, it'll, it'll just it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But you know, preseason polls mean nothing, and next they year really the don't. whole dynamic is going to be different with the twelve team playoff. Um, mm-hmm. Rick, who, who do you like in the uh, national championship game? I like Michigan just because they're physical. But you know, I watched the Washington game after that. I was really surprised there. The way that they moved, you know, that they've got some players on there. And I thought they're not going to be able to handle Texas. And they did so. So uh, I, I think people are underestimating Washington. I think they're all thinking, well, you know, this is going to be a this is going to be a blowout. Wolverines by a couple touchdowns. But, you know, I don't know. I was listening to Reese Davis yesterday somewhere. And he was, you know, he's, he's high on Washington. He watches more football than I do. So I... I don't know. I, I think it maybe could go either way. What, maybe 60-40 Michigan? You know, I don't know. What are you guys thinking? I go like you do until I look at some of Michael Penix's throws this past year. <laughs> then I go, right. gee, man, how does he squeeze those off? And he's, he's done it in the last few games against teams that play pretty good defense. But right. I don't know if anybody's yeah. faced a defense like Michigan. Um, yeah, I just no. don't think I just don't I don't think it's a good matchup for Washington no. at all. I mean, I, I think Michigan is just going to outpower them on offense, mm-hmm. and then as yeah. we saw uh, in the Rose Bowl, the Michigan's defense is for real. 
I mean, I was I was a little skeptical because we didn't know how good the Big Ten was, but you know what? They're pretty dang good, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think Michigan is going to win this thing. Um, yeah. A quick question uh, before we have to head to our first break with you, um, Bill Belichick. You're a Northeastern guy. Do you think mm-hmm. this is the end for Belichick in New England? I don't know. They're struggling, aren't they? Uh, you know, I will say this: um, we're very nice down here in the South. You know, you think football fans can be, can get nasty, you know, down here in the SEC or or wherever. Up in New England, I mean, boy, they are tough. So they are all over Belichick. You know how yeah, they, they, they handle the Mac Jones thing. I mean, it is is just you know, from Boston Red Sox fans to Patriots to Bruins, they don't mess around. So he is taking a lot of heat. Uh, how old is he now? Is he he's got to be early seventies? Yeah, uh, yeah, he's about Nick's age, I think. Yeah, yeah probably, I would think. So, you know, when is enough is enough? It, it's like I don't know. He's got the championships, and it goes back to Coach Saban too. You know, again, again, like we're talking about the broadcasters, it gets in your blood, and it, it keeps him young, and it keeps him coming back. But he's certainly got all the money he wants. He's got the championships, and so. Uh, you know, we'll see. I don't know him. I've uh, seen him at the podium several times, and he is very much like he appears on TV. Uh, you don't get a lot out of him. So, you know, I do not know uh, what he is thinking right now. But uh, if he walked away today, I think he'd have a, a pretty satisfying feeling in his gut, knowing that he, he did a good job. But, boy, they've got some work to do up there, don't they? A yeah, lot. unfortunately, it looks like it's the end of the Mac Jones era in, uh, in mm-hmm. Austin there. Mm, I agree. Hey, Ricky, yeah. can, since you're retired now momentarily, can you hang through another break? Because I want to ask you the same question about Nick Saban and his future. Yeah, I mean, the only, the only way that's going to get in the way of a, a break is a pickleball game at my point. I'll put that off to talk to you guys. Right. <laughs> yeah, we'll you know, my, my, my son went as a pickleball zombie for Halloween. Ooh, yeah, that's that's funny. Years. That's very creative. <laughs> Does he have to recreate himself as a 62-year-old man? Yeah, he's obsessed with pickleball. He's older than I am, and he's eight. (laughs) Rick Carley is our guest on Big Noon Sports, presented by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker. Back in just a flash. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. (laughs) 
Welcome back into Big Noon Sports. We're chatting with Rick Carley. Rick, um, gosh, uh, shifting to Alabama basketball. Oh, you know what? Before we do that, because Matt asked you, there were rumors, a lot of rumors, and they, they, they got so heated that made it way made this way to ESPN um, that uh, Nick Saban was going to retire here in the next mm-hmm. few days. What do you think? You, you have actually. It's hard to believe that it's been what seventeen years, almost to the day. Seventeen to, years, 17 uh, years uh, yesterday. Seventeen was, years yeah. in a day, and I right. think uh, you got into a uh, little boat with him. Uh, seventeen years <laughs> and maybe three days. From, I don't know, but uh, yeah. you've known him for a long time. You know him well on a personal level. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Nick's future? Hard to say. I mean, as much as we all think we know him, you know, I, I think the the one person who is going to ultimately decide this could be uh, Miss Terry. I mean, he has always listened to her. You know, uh, there, there's, two, there's two thoughts in, in, in one. And this is what's got people riled up. Well, Coach Saban took a trip to Europe over this. Summer. He bought a $17 million mansion down in South Florida next to Tiger Woods. He's got his championships. He's opening up these Mercedes dealerships. He's got his midlife crisis car, his Ferrari. What more does he want? On the other hand, when you're making that kind of money and you have good financial, you know, uh, advisors, and they are telling you to do this, that's something that I am never going to experience. I don't know about you guys, but you know, some of these things that he's buying and he's he, his other ventures that he's taking part with, I don't think necessarily means that he is going to be stepping down. Is he setting himself up for the future? Certainly, but he's always said, and I take him at at face value. He says, as long as I feel good and I feel that I'm contributing to this university, I'm going to continue to work. And when I hear him say that, well, I think he's still contributing to the university. I think he's got another championship or two in him if he wants. And he looks great. He's 72. Looks like he's about 50. He eats well. He's in great shape. You know, I I just can't say, but I can see him coaching for, you know, two, three, four, five more years if he so chooses. So we'll see. I think he's got another national championship run, and he, certainly he made one this year. Uh, to, Boy, he by, did, by the too, way, yeah. Yep. What's the difference in boat size of the one you went out with him 17 years ago and what you would go out with now? Oh, my uh, God. That still was down there, you know. To make a long story short, you know, he came over to my house several years in a row uh, to do some morning show appearances when I was at Channel 6. I talk about this little lake behind us with one of these. And you've seen these things. You, you see at Dick's or Academy, these pelican things, these plastic boats, you know, like little duck boats. So he went on one of the hits out there. So that was the famous or infamous uh, dinghy scene, if uh, you want to call it that. But, you know, I don't know. Um, that's what I should do. I, should, I haven't been in that dinghy in years. It's sitting there on the bank. I should have Coach Saban sign it and... And, uh, and put it on and, eBay. Uh, put it on <laughs> eBay for charity or something. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny. I, I think about that. How he he said, "Yeah, I'll climb in there. We'll do a hit." And then he's out with his uh, yacht <laughs> over yep. the lake house and behind his house in Tuscaloosa as well. It's a little bit different in the cost there for sure. Did you think he did his best job? I think you've referred to that earlier. But I was thinking while you were talking about whether or not he'd retire. Um, how many coaches in college football would have been able to get that team, that group, with all those new assistant coaches to the Final Four and then go to overtime right. with Michigan? I mean, Right. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and 
You know, isn't he up for like the Munger Award or something with, with four others? And he is up for the National College Coach of the Year. And everybody thinks, you know, well, Coach Saban, you know, it's it's easy. He's got all those five stars. No, 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 no. Especially not this year. He had a lot of a lot of issues between the offensive line and even uh, Jalen early on. And, and he, you know, he didn't have Devonte Smith on one side and and Waddle on the other. So I mean, he had some he had some things to overcome. So. Uh, for that reason, yeah, I do agree that uh, certainly one of the best uh, coaching years he's had since he's been there. Rick, uh, let's look to Alabama basketball. Uh, non-conference play wrapped up. Uh, wh- what do you think about this team as it heads into SEC play this weekend? Well, you know, we'll see. It's a long season, and people get all jacked up with some, some early losses. They had a really good as far as strength of schedule of a non-conference schedule. And, uh, you know, and I like that with, with Bruce Pearl. He went out West a couple of weeks ago and, and to play uh, some tough competition. So look, um, I think it's all, you know, a washout, you know, we'll see, but I'll tell you what, you know, Arkansas, there's some good teams in the SEC, not there, that there's not always, but there's some major hurdles to overcome, especially on the road, you know, going on the road in basketball is tough. I mean, going on the road any, in any sport is tough, but going especially college basketball. And we'll see. And uh, he continues to recruit well, does Oates, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. It'd uh, be interesting. Once they get into tournament play, a whole new deal anyway. So yeah. we'll have to see how they shape up, how healthy they are come, uh, come March Madness. Rick, I want to back up to football for just a minute. Uh, I actually went to the game in Nashville and was very disappointed in the way Auburn played. I think everybody mm-hmm. was. But would you grade out Hugh Freeze, and who in the world are they going to end up at quarterback? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, uh, what's uh, what's Ashford doing now? Is he uh, is he picked to school? Or? I don't think he's landed anywhere. Yeah, I don't think he has either. So uh, have to see what uh, what that effect is. You know, I don't know if I gave him a grade. I would probably say a, a, a B. I think he did some good things. I think uh, the most important thing that I think he has brought back, he's brought back a little bit of a buzz to Auburn. I mean, those Harson years were rough, man. And when Harson left, and then, you know, there were some people n- not happy with the freeze hire. You, you heard all that, the fallout and how testy it got among some alumni and some boosters. But I think that uh, he's brought back a little buzz, a little bit uh, like uh, where, you know, Auburn is back kind of attitude especially with the way they played alabama and uh when they're at that ending they still got to be kicking themselves they had them on the ropes but you know i think uh you know i think it's a b b plus and uh that's good because i think uh with the previous coach it could have been about a c minus rick you know uh tua and talia and the whole uh family and word just came out that uh, talia entered the transfer portal are you surprised by that? I, I, I may be blindsiding you a little bit because it, it really, the, yeah. the news just broke here. Um, yeah. Are you surprised that he wants to finish his career somewhere else than Maryland? I mean, he is, he's the all-time Big Ten passing leader in so many different categories. And with the COVID yeah. year, he gets that extra year. Yeah. The only thing I thought as soon as I heard that was, well, he wants to go play at Miami or FAU or somewhere. Yeah, I thought Miami too. Yep. He, Right. And close to his home. You know, he's got his brother down there. Um, I think his parents still have a house in Alabaster, but you, I'm sure they have a house. I haven't talked to Nalu or Diane for, for a while, but I would think that if they're not at Tua's place, they've got a house, you know, right by. And perhaps they're saying, look, I mean, come on down here. 
you know, come on down here. And, you know, I don't know the relationship between him and Loxley until yeah, but uh, I know he was the, he was the other tongue of Iloa for many years, but boy, he's a heck of a player. And, uh, you know, perhaps it's as simple as let's keep the family together and uh, life is too short and come on down here to the great weather. And, uh, you know, and uh, we'll see. Uh, Miami's done some good things and, you know, you got some other schools too. So we'll see where he ends up. Should be interesting. Rick Carley is our guest on Big Noon Sports. As long as we've, uh, I guess, half this conversation or is leading to talking about the portal, um, this has not been gathered in and given proper guardrails, has it yet? What do you think they need to do? You know, I'm not sure. It's like the whole NIL thing. I mean, college sports has changed so much. And I mean, uh, you know, is it, is it all about money? Is it all about putting yourself in a better position? And, you know, I'm not so sure what Coach Saban thinks is, is, is thinks about the NIL. I don't know if he's too excited about that. You know, there's some people out there that, that would say that, that could be the death of, of college athletics as we know it. But, uh, you know, we see the, a portal. Just not quite sure. But, boy, it's, it's certainly different. As you read the... Remember, remember years ago when there, this, there was this thing called a newspaper? I used to love going to the inside cover or whatever or reading the transaction section. You, know, you see, they'd have it all listed, football, NFL, major, you see who was on the move. Boy, I tell you, this portal boy, that'd be a long list in the newspaper. If, you uh, have if to they add another agate page. <laughs> yeah, you, you really would. So it's a different world, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes for sure. It makes it interesting. You got to stay on the radio like your your radio station every day just to figure out what's going on, right? Yeah, I think uh, Alabama set a record. I think within 15 minutes, eight guys entered the portal. Uh, it was just like, <laughs> whoa, okay. But wow. you know what? None of it, none of what transpired uh, was unexpected. I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, just sticking with Alabama football for a second. We all we all have been talking for a long time about when Coach Saban steps away. Do you have any thoughts on who potentially, and I, I believe it's still two three years down the road, but who potentially right. would be the ideal person to replace the legend? Absolutely not, because I think you're going to get two different factions there. One is you know everybody thinks of Dabo. Well. There's the other buttoned-up half of the Bama fan base that says is not high on uh, Dabo, not corporate enough. Uh, uh, I don't want to use that. They think he, well, I'll say it. What the heck? They think Dabo might be a little bit of a goober. Now, I love Dabo. <laughs> I okay? You know, I covered him in high school. He's a good friend of mine. He's done a great job. Very outgoing. Speaks from the heart. And sometimes that uh, that's, uh, can step up to bite him. But after Saban... That's a whole different situation, and I think uh, some of the Bama fan base uh, might be uh, taken back with some of that. Would want somebody more corporate, uh, more buttoned up, uh, more businesslike. So, where does that lead us? Not sure. Uh, you, you know, you, you want a young guy, you want a no-nonsense guy, you want a guy that knows how to recruit. I mean, Saban is still the master recruiter, uh, going on, you know, dropping that helicopter down into high school football fields. He's like a Elvis Presley walking into the high school. So we, uh, you know, I do not know. Uh, you, you got any names on the list? I'd love to hear them because I think that, uh, you know, the, the Dabo aside, I think that there is a, a uh, quite a few people that would be looking for somebody a little bit more corporate, a little bit more uh, uh, business-like in that role. What Sarkeesian? 
Is Texas a better job than Alabama right now? I don't think so. I think Alabama's Alabama. I mean, you know, tell you what, when Texas wins six national championships in 15 years, come back and tell me they're as good as <laughs> Really? Yeah. You know what I mean? Point well then taken. We can, yeah. yeah, I mean, we can have that conversation then. But, I mean, you know, we forget sometimes what's right in front of us. And, I mean, the, the GOAT is in front of us, Alabama football, is, uh, is you know, is, is at a level that has uh, perhaps been unmatched over the last decade and a half. So we will see. You know, you hear Lane Kiffin. And, and, you know, he appeals to the younger demographic. But again, you go back to that older, you know, more conservative Bama fan base, the, the corporate donors, the big money people. Boy, is Len Kiffin the guy or not? You know, I, I, I just don't know. I, I would say, if I had to guess, it would be somebody other than those, a, a person like that. You know, uh, more of a, uh, more of a uh, Coach Saban uh, type of person when it all washes out. Rick, when you first moved to Birmingham, when did you first really get a feel of what Alabama football was all about? Was there a play? Was there an interview? Or was it just a combination of things over a period of time? Well, the the, the first Iron Bowl I covered was what, what told me what college football is about because that first inter, or that first Iron Bowl was 1989. Pat Dye back at Jordan-Hare. You know, I go to Tiger Walk that day. And there are grown men crying at Tiger Walk because they got that game right back to Jordan-Hare Stadium. I mean, that was that Iron Bowl was one of the craziest things I've ever thought. I said, wow, the passion was unbelievable. Now, on the Bama side, um, probably I brought my dad down to the Tennessee game. I think Alabama played Tennessee 1989, probably right third week, Saturday in October. Wasn't it Saran Stacy or somebody went nuts and they beat Tennessee like 45 to 30 at Legion Field? It was a real high-scoring game. The passion in that game was unbelievable. So uh, I think from the Bama side, it was certainly by midway through that 1989 season. And, of course, uh, the 89 Iron Bowl uh, uh, at uh, Auburn showed me how passionate people were about it. And then you go to 1990 with, with Coach Stallings and, then you go all the way up to Dennis Riddle and, to, you know, the, from there. So, uh, and, uh, of course, I was in the middle of the kick six. You know, I got trapped in the middle of the 50-yard line on that game. It took me about an hour to get out of there. I had to climb through the bushes down there. So <laughs> there have been some some great moments, though, in in, uh, in Alabama and Auburn history for me. So I'm blessed to uh, have experienced it for sure. Well, speaking of those moments, do you have a, a top two, top three uh, when you look back on your career uh, again, not from the state like myself and come down here and end up uh, living your life here. Yeah. Best moments, yeah. yeah. Best few moments covering either Alabama, Auburn. What sticks out to you? Well, probably, uh, you know, the kick six was crazy just because just for, for a surreal part of the thing. And it was, I was right behind Chris Davis at the end zone. And they called that timeout. They put the one second back of the clock. And I said to my guy, I was there to cover um, um, Auburn football players. Sheldon Haygood, my cohort over at six, was on the other end zone covering Bama. And by meaning that, we chase after separate. So I, we uh, flipped a coin and I picked Auburn. Well, that happened. And I said to my photographer, I said, hey, before this, they, they try to kick this field goal. Let's not, tr- you know, I think he's going to make it. Auburn's going to lose. Let's not, let's wait till we get in the locker room to interview the Auburn players because they're going to be bummed out. And then that happened. I was in the middle of it. That's crazy. The other thing, um, second and 26. I mean, 
that was unbelievable. I was right down there, and um, you know they let the they let the me they hold the media kind of off the field until the last five minutes of the game. They finally let us on. It went to overtime, and then when he was sacked, Tua was sacked. It was unbelievable. I said, "Man, I think this game could be over." Man, they got like second and twenty six, and then he hits Avante right in front of me, and that was crazy. And the thing I remember about that game. I went running around. Of course, you know, Bradley Bozeman proposed to Nikki uh, Hegstetter, his, his girlfriend, and they, they're married now. I live in Carolina. thing I remembered about that, I'm in the locker room interviewing. Somebody's interviewing to run around. Uh, this a great moment. Uh, you know, Alabama beat Georgia. And a um, guy standing over in front of his locker in the corner is Jalen Hurts. So I go up to Jalen, and his back was to me, and I kind of tap. I said, hey, you got a minute? And I thought he'd be really bummed out for being, you know, lifted from the game. And, you know, Tua goes in and wins the game for the Grimson Tide. And he turns around. He had this smile on his face. And I said, hey, why are you, you know, smiling and so happy that, you know, you, you kind of stunk it up out there and you, you had you struggled and you were lifted from the game. And Tua went in and became the star. And he looked at me and said, because I'm a national champion. And it, like he almost teared up, and I went, "Oh my gosh!" You know, you don't realize what what you know hard work and dedication these people put into. I mean, that was unreal. One real funny story about that game. Before this, I can, we can talk about stories all day. So we're under the um, under the bowels of the stadium, and President Trump was at that game. I think that was at that game. Was yeah. before he came out like yeah. wave to the fence or whatever. So we're under there, um, under the catacombs. I'm hanging out with Christina Chambers, who was a reporter for Channel 6, and she had her camera. And the Secret Service says, all right, everybody get out of here. You know, uh, all the media gets uh, President Trump's coming through. Well, uh, Christina started talking up a Secret Service agent, kind of flirting with him a little bit. And we kind of put our camera down on the side. And we're right up front when President Trump comes walking down the hall. Okay, so he comes walking down the corner before he turned into the into the stadium, and he's coming right at us. I said, "We got to get him. We got to try to get the president." So he comes right at us. I've got a Fox microphone flag because I'm at Fox Six. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe <laughs> he's like up with the Fox Network or whatever. So he comes he comes right at me. He comes up about three feet from me. I think he was chewing a mint or something. He had a long black coat on and a red tie. And he comes right up and go, Mr. President. You got just a minute to to talk football before you go out? And he holds up his hand. He goes, no. <laughs> and he turns the corner and walks out. Into the I love that. <laughs> so so that was my brush with greatness with the president of the United States. I got uh, I got three feet from him, and uh, <laughs> he turned the corner and took off. But anyway. Well, you got a um, response. You fired the question. You were in position. You did, it. You did everything did, you could. Did you run his response on air? Um, I think we did. Well, I put it on Facebook. You I, put it on the, I put it on my Facebook page, and then okay. I've, uh, I've written about that before. And, uh, and uh, yeah. So, uh, anyway, closest I've ever got to a, a president uh, in person anyway, but it uh, didn't, uh, didn't quite work out. But, hey, you gotta you got to do what you got to do, right? Rick, speaking of social media and Facebook, you have many, many followers. Tell our listeners how they can follow you. Okay, just go to Facebook at Rick Carley WVTM 13. Now, the WVTM 13 is still on there because Facebook tends to take about a month or so to take that off of there. So although I am no longer at WVTM 13 as of about three weeks ago, it's going to take a couple of weeks for WVTM 13 to come off. So just put Rick Carley or Rick Carley WVTM 13. I'll pop off. I got the blue check. There's a picture of me 
you know, trying to, I'm holding up a good news sign. My thing is good news now. So uh, you'll find me, easy to find. I'm on Twitter at Rick Carley. I'm, uh, I'll be on TikTok soon and, uh, and um, Instagram as well. So you can find me and uh, I might be hanging out with you guys a little bit more. And, uh, you know, we'll yeah. see what happens. So easy to find. So you got any great stories, you let me know. And I'll, uh, I'll take care of you. Thanks, Rick. Great stuff, awesome. Rick, man. I'll be in touch with you. All right, guys. All right. You have a great day and uh, and uh, and have a good day. All right. Happy New Year. All right. Uh, Got to get to our break when we come back. Well, what more? Um, transfer portal? I don't know. We'll let Lars decide. You're listening to Big News Sports. Day mornings at 6 a.m. The Martin Houston Show. Join us on the Martin Houston Show as we keep the conversation rolling about Alabama in the postseason. We'll add Kennington Smith III to the conversation. We'll get his thoughts on Alabama versus Michigan, Michigan and Washington as they take on each other in the national championship game. We'll also get his thoughts on the Alabama football team as they head into recruiting season and the transfer portal impact on the Crimson Tide in 2024. We'll have those conversations and a whole lot more right here on your home for Alabama Sports Tide 100.9 and 1230 AM WTBC. Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Increasingly cloudy this afternoon. Rain becoming widespread tonight across Alabama. The high today, 54. Tonight's low, 42. Tomorrow, rain ending early in the day. The clouds will linger through the afternoon hours. The high at 55. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 53 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Wyatt Fulton bringing you the show on this chilly, chilly Friday afternoon. And uh, I'm a bit tired of the, the chill, but at least the sun is out. Are you feeling Lars, better today, man? Sounds, you sound yeah, better. Yeah, much. Yeah, I, I am much. And I'm sorry I had to ditch on you guys yesterday. It was just not going to work. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, there's just a lot of different things going around right now. And uh, yeah, I, I was listening got a touch to, of something too. But. Yeah, I was listening to Leland Whaley 
um, who you and I both like listening yeah. to me probably more than you do. But hey, I respect uh, I respect him so yeah, much. I, I, I mean, our, our, was, our, our political beliefs don't align, but I always can really respect uh, someone as intelligent and thoughtful and as articulate as Leland. But he was uh, he was fighting it yesterday, and I don't know if he's going to make it in today. But uh, I think something's going around. It just gets all up in your head and your lungs, and that's where I'm going to end this story. I'm going to start another one, though. Uh, transfer portal slash draft. I don't know if you've seen this or not. I had to read it twice. The University of Georgia has 21 players that have declared to go to the portal. They're in the portal. Mm-hmm. They have 11 players that have declared for the draft. 32 players that were on the 2023 roster. 32, folks. That's almost 40% of your roster of 85. My math's pretty good on that. Yeah. 32 players. Now, we know a lot of these guys were four stars when they were recruited, didn't develop, didn't think they got enough playing time. We understand the, the whole concept of the transfer portal and, and why kids do it. But that's just amazing. You, you're not talking about rebuilding. You're talking about pouring the concrete again. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a stunning number, 32. And uh, with all those kids entering the transfer portal, my initial thought is it's the price of success. But, uh, Wyatt, let me ask you, what, what do you think? With, with Is it... Is it NIL? It's like this this uh, combination of transfer portal and NIL is diabolical, I think, because you everyone is searching for the money, right? And you go back into the portal. If you're not getting as much as you want in Athens and you're a four-star, former four-star, you go look for the money, right? Is this is it all about money or is it about opportunity on the field or is it more about off the field? I think it's I think it's a combination. Certain and it depends on certain players. You know, I rumors are that the Ole Miss running back Quinshawn Judkins is the reason he's entered the portal is is for money. He wanted more money, but you know, these four stars at Georgia who are developing and are taking good steps, well, they're sitting behind five stars, so they're not going to develop. I, Brock Vandergriff, who I think could be a really good quarterback, yeah, he's been sitting for years behind Stetson Bennett and Carson Beck. At some point, you've just got to decide. You know what? I got I got at least try. I got to see where I can, you know, who might be willing to take a shot on me. Where do you think the the Mississippi State or sorry, the Ole Miss running back ends up? I mean, I know Alabama is he could he he would be a good fit here. I think if if I had to put money on it as a gambling man, uh which I am not. Uh I am unfortunately. <laughs> I would say I would say probably Auburn. They, I think he would be really good in that scheme down there, and he would be a—he's a strong veteran who, you know, Auburn struggled at the quarterback position. I know they're in the portal, kind of hunting around right now. But if it's Peyton Thorne again, a running back like Quinshawn Judkins would be huge to help him out, take some pressure off of him. Yeah, speaking of I quarterbacks, this I, is gonna. Sorry, Matt, I, I was just gonna say, gonna make oh, a go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, no. Kansas State, uh, former Kansas State quarterback Will Howard. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about this yesterday because the news broke after uh, we were off air. But Will Howard, who's an excellent quarterback, uh, he was in the transfer portal from Kansas State, and he's 22. Decided to go to Ohio State, picked Ohio State over USC and Miami. And I wonder if the ripple effect of the Howard decision impacted Talia because if Howard had gone to Miami, 
then Miami's uh, no longer open for business. But now Miami is still looking for a quarterback, and it just makes sense for Talia to go to Miami, be with his brother. Think about all the NIL opportunities with Talia and Tua. Mm. Well, but I wonder. But I just, money. I just really, I just wonder if he was waiting to see what Will Howard was going to do. Like, there's so many dominoes here. So, well, and here's one I'll throw out there uh, concerning Judkins, if he's going to consider Alabama. Uh, this breaking news: Roydale Williams has just indicated, according to this report from Tide Illustrated, that he's going to be back in the room for Alabama in 2024. Your reaction, Wyatt? I think it's a. I think it's good to have that veteran presence. Somebody that has not made a decision yet, and we're you know we're about twelve hours away from the transfer portal closing. What's Chase McClellan going to do? Is he for sure going to the draft, or are some of the rumors true that he he might be heading somewhere else? I mean, it was I don't know. Was it writing on the wall a little bit in the Rose Bowl? It it seemed like I thought the writing was on the wall a little bit more for Roydell. You get one yeah. carry in the yeah. I'm surprised. Game. Yeah, I mean, so these guys are all talking. They're buddies. You know, uh, I would not be surprised that Rodell is coming back or Roydell is coming back because he knows what McClellan's going to do. That's well, my and, guess. Um, That's totally a guess. Guys, if both those guys come back, what about Miller and Justice Haynes? Of course, they can't change their I think, mind. They I, think, do I, think Haynes, I think Haynes is going to be the feature back next year. He'll be number one. Even if McClellan and Roydell Williams I do think stay? so. I do. He's just too good. You can't keep him. Uh, you just can't keep him off the field. He's too good if he's healthy. Well, and I think health was an stay, issue. I, I would welcome the wishbone. <laughs> Bring back the bone, baby. Bring and, the and, bone. Oh, my gosh. How good. How good. Would Jalen be a run in the bone? Who do you put a fullback? Who's it? Who's it? Put Oots and Robbie Oots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and go with it's, it. They have to have a wishbone package. We should uh, start a campaign for that. Wishbone package. You know we can get NIL people, money for it. <laughs> you know how many people would just well up inside if they saw Crimson Tide come out there and line up and come a out in the bone? Oh, That's, you know, my, my brother always crazy. said, my brother always said, you know, if he ever coached Pee Wee football, He's running the bone because he can't stop it. <laughs> oh, it is and, so fun and I, to and watch. I covered, uh, cover, uh, covered is in quotation marks, the Pop Warner National Championship down in Orlando one year, and the team that won it ran the single wing, which is what Pop Warner I, ran. <laughs> I loved it. Exactly. That's fitting. It was very fitting. We, it's a fun we story. The, we ran the single wing when I was in 80-pound football. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you had to practice. Was our offensive coordinator even born the last time we ran the wishbone of the single or the, no. or the wing? <laughs> uh, when was that? 32? Yeah. Uh, last time Alabama ran the bone was in, in the 70s. Or 82. 82. Yeah. So that would Up be no. Bryant's years. So, all right. Lively first hour. <clears throat> We're going to talk some basketball with former Alabama player and head coach Mark Godfrey. He'll be with us in just a few minutes as you listen to Big Noon Sports. Tell 
Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a town square media station. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles, here's Kevin Wired. A report out from The Athletic about an hour ago talking about Warriors forward Jonathan Kaminga and how he has lost faith in head coach Steve Kerr and no longer believes Kerr will allow him to reach his full potential. This comes after Kaminga sat for the last 18 minutes of last night's loss to the Denver Nuggets in which Denver trailed by 18 points at one point in the fourth quarter, but went on a 25-4 to run to end the game, and it was capped by Nikola Jokic's 40-foot buzzer-beating bank shot. In NFL news, Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson spoke to the media earlier today and said that quarterback Trevor Lawrence is questionable for Sunday's game, but he's going to practice and throw a bit today to see how he feels, but he very well could be a game-time decision. And Rick Stroud at TampaBay.com reporting that Bucks quarterback Baker Mayfield is at practice on Friday and does not appear to be limited in any way. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. It is Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing, Union Home Mortgage. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Wyatt Fulton, all uh, as uh, we get into the second hour passing halftime, which we spent a lot of time talking with Rick Curley. That was a whole lot of fun. Uh, finished up the hour talking about the transfer portal and still just kind of baffles my mind how Georgia's got 32 slots to fill. And they're 21 in the transfer portal, 11 in the draft. So those are all scholarship guys. I mean, how, does, how do you – can you recruit 50 players now? <laughs> How does that work? How do the numbers work on that? That's a really great, great crush question. Excuse me. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea um, because you your scholarship, yeah, the, the numbers change of the uh, of guys you have on scholarship. So therefore, could, is it conceivable that you could have a class of forty? I don't it's think right. there's a there's not a max, is there? Uh, no, I mean, I, I've heard it go to like 27, 28, 29 uh, because of this very reason on a much smaller scale. Yeah. But when you got 32 in the portal and 11 in the draft, I don't know how you restock. I guess you're going to the transfer portal a lot. And you know what happens when you go to the transfer portal? Moolah, moolah, moolah. So and the, not only is it devastating to your roster, that's going to cost your collective and your NIL folks a whole lot of money, isn't it? Yeah. And also what complicates things is the COVID year. So you have this glut of guys on your roster who've been given, given this extra year of eligibility. And you know, I saw earlier Alan, uh, Alan Bowman, quarterback for Oklahoma State, 
really, really good player. He's getting his seventh season. He's going to be in his seventh season. He just got a waiver granted. Going to be in his seventh season, Wyatt. He was in the same class as Trevor Lawrence. Like, that's just... <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's a tight end for Miami who's petitioned for his ninth season of college football. It's it's ridiculous. I just looked it up, by the way. Uh, the limit has been 25, but last spring the NCAA granted a two-year waiver to expand the signing limit. So now teams can have up to 32 players in a recruiting class. So they oh. could get exactly the number back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, man. Interesting. Uh, but isn't Seth McLaughlin, isn't he transferred and he's got his sixth or maybe even seventh year? I'm pretty sure but, it's his sixth. I think he is about to. He's entering either his fifth or sixth. I want to say sixth. And yeah, he. I think he's entering his sixth with one more year of eligibility. I think so. He's in. His, he's going yeah. into his yeah, final that's year, right. and he's visiting Ohio Large State, or at least he was a couple of days. Yeah, ago. he was on his way to Ohio State yesterday, and uh, it'd be interesting if he if he ends up there, and then uh, Alabama ends up playing Ohio State at some point next season. <laughs> As we've discussed many times on this show, who typically is the smartest guy on the offense? The center. center. Yeah, he could he could he could provide a lot of intel (laughs) to Ohio State coaches. Or or Bama knows that all the snaps are just gonna go through the quarterback's legs. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, here's what they do. What was the stat? Thirty two of the sixty four. This is candidly, okay? But I think it would serve him best to go to a team that runs quarterback under center. Oh, was that mean? (laughs) No. I think that's uh that's fair uh but uh, you know i you and i talked about this the other day like it's kind of like a chuck knoblock situation right second baseman for the yankees in the middle of his career doing great all-star suddenly he can't make the throw from second base to first air mails it bounces it i mean it was all mental and uh i think maybe a, a change of uh, venue will be helpful Reminds me of uh, an interesting story uh, along the Knobloch deal. Um, Dale Murphy, when he was in the minors, was originally a catcher. And every time somebody tried to steal on him, he would throw a strike to the center fielder. He just couldn't throw it to second. But everybody saw his potential, particularly with his bat. So that's why he ended up in center field, because he had uh, a Knobloch Nah, throw block. Why isn't Dale Murphy in the Hall of Fame? He's two home runs shy of 400. I don't know. He's the Ken Anderson of Major League Baseball. I don't know. Come on, I knew that fell flat. Uh, No, I got it. Ken Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, I've been advocating for I remember how disappointed you were. Well, I thought that it was the year. Yeah, he was on the seniors committee, but it should happen this coming year. We'll see. Well, we will. Uh, Lars, of uh, all the guys, and I have a, a short list here, that Alabama has had entered the transfer portal. Seth, Jazz Preston, Eli Holstein, um, Malik Benson, Kristen Story. Kristen Story kind of puzzled me, and so did Malik Benson. Story got a lot of playing time in the secondary. Played in 38 games, I think, something like that. Well, uh, hey, these kids can read depth charts. And I do know from talking with uh, so many former players that in the sort of exit interviews that Coach Saban has with every player at the end of the season, he is uh, ruthlessly honest. And he'll tell the player where he stacks up in his view 
uh, heading into next season. And, um, you know, I think the, the raw honesty is very, very good because of the, there could be opportunities away from Tuscaloosa that would be greater uh, and of more benefit to the player and his family than they are in Tuscaloosa. And uh, so again, I'm not surprised by any of these, uh, any of these guys in the transfer portal and uh, they're just trying to do what's best for them and their family. I mean, I, I never thought I'd be saying this about a college athlete, but go where the money is. You should go where the money is. So you would think a guy, and I really, uh, I was sold in Benson after the spring and really thought that he was going to be in the top two, maybe three, the wide receiver room. And there were a couple of games where uh, he looked the part, but he didn't get a catch or I didn't see him on the field very much in the semifinals. Did you? No. So, and I'm following your line of thinking here. Uh, A guy like Benson... And a guy like Kristen Story, I guess they're getting offers. Isn't that the way it works? Yeah. 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 North Carolina calls and said, hey, we'll get you $150,000 in money here where you're only getting seventy five elsewhere. Come on. Now, then what's go. the player going to do? Go. You should go. Because you don't know if you're uh, any of these uh, players from Alabama in the transfer portal, you don't know if you're going to play in the NFL. Right, so your opportunity to make uh, big time money on your athletic skill is uh, short. The window it could be very, very short. So you should take advantage of it when you can. And uh, and and look, when the, the guys who enter the transfer portal, they are getting information from all sorts of different sources. And uh, and I, I I do know, like in, as as I just mentioned, that that Coach Saban is just very uh, straightforward and upfront about where uh, a player ranks in, in, in the sort of roster. And, and if, if uh, you know, if he doesn't want to sit another year, then he should go somewhere else where he can get bigger money and get playing time and, you know, do, do what's best for him. I have no, I don't begrudge any of these kids getting into the transfer portal because it was the adults that set up this <laughs> it's a crazy structure we have now. Of. And it, it, yeah, it, it's the leaders of college football that have gotten us to where we are now. Yeah. And so far, particularly with the NIL, I think they're trying to, you know, give a little bit of direction with the portal. I mean, they, they've changed it to where you can only transfer once unless you're a graduate. Isn't that correct? Yeah. But still, there were, what, 1,500 guys in the transfer portal? Oh, I don't even know the number. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an insane hey, amount. Speaking of which, uh, good question for you, all right? Because I've seen a lot of posts, a lot of social media chat on this. When a player has opted out, should he be allowed to travel and enjoy the bowl season? Does his scholarship and meal money continue? Oh, I would say no. Once you're gone, you're gone. You're basically saying, I quit. So you've quit the team. You're done. I think everything... Not on the roster. Everything, everything ends. I would assume... I, I, I don't know how that works, but you are essentially saying, I'm no longer a part of this team. I am not willing to play for this university anymore. Therefore, once that pronouncement is made to the head coach and to everyone uh, on staff, then... 
I would I would assume that everything is cut off and the, no, they should not be allowed to tra- allowed to travel on the school's dime because they are no longer did. providing uh, their, they're, they're no longer upholding their end of the commitment. Right, but we saw on the sidelines, I wish I could pick out one particular player, but um, I can't remember. Probably, they probably have enough money to pay their own way if they're opting out. You know, that's... Uh, I didn't think about that part. And then you just give them a credential. Then you just say, hey, you can get on the sideline. Yeah. I, I'm okay with that, but I, I don't think I would be okay with them continuing to live um, and receive stipends for housing and, and meals and so forth. Yeah, like, the, you know, the, the that $80 a day uh, meal stipend, that, that won't mean anything to these guys who are opting out. <laughs> I'm surprised Brock Bowers didn't opt out. That really, I, I was like, that, that, that took some guts. Well, and uh, we talked earlier about Dalia. You know, he's going into the portal. But nobody should be surprised by that. He opted out for his own bowl game. So, and I don't think anybody, was he going to go to the NFL? I don't think so. Anyway, it's just all a part of the world of college football that we now live in. Uh, let's talk some college hoops with Mark Godfrey on the other side of the break as you listen to Big Noon Sports Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Increasingly cloudy this afternoon. Rain becoming widespread tonight across Alabama. The high today, 54. Tonight's low, 42. Tomorrow, rain ending early in the day. The clouds will linger through the afternoon hours. The high at 55. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 54 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Presented by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker. Our next guest coming in, I think, from California, maybe in points between, Mark Godfrey, who played at the University of Alabama and went on to coach Alabama to its most successful season ever, getting them to the Elite Eight. Mark, my name is Matt Coulter. We met 40 years ago. I hate to bring that up, but it's been, it's been, that, it's been that dang long ago. Um, how have you been, man? Do you live out on uh, out in, uh, like, Van Nuys or some cool place in California full-time now? Well, well, first of all, I was actually feeling good to not feel old after you just said that. I was, I'm... Well, just remember, I'm a lot older, so does that help? 
no, I'm in Newport Beach, California. It's it's uh, it's tough life. So you know, I'm, <laughs> I figured I'm I'm going to handle it for a little bit. It's a good place. So you kind of finished up at Northridge and just decided to keep your stay out there in the West Coast. Yeah, I have. I, I've enjoyed it, and uh, you know, my children are all here, and so uh, you know, they've moved from you know North Carolina to here, and so anyway, it's, it's, you know, family's kind of where your kids are for the most part. So, um, but I've enjoyed it. I actually, uh, my mom always tells me, said, you're out there with all the fruits and the nuts in California, but, uh, it's good. I enjoy it. You know, uh, this is Lars Anderson here. Nice to talk to you, coach. Um, several years ago, I did a story on Mr. Irrelevant, the last player drafted in the, uh, in Mm -hmm. the NFL draft. And it is in, uh, North beach where they have the parade. And so went out there, uh, just shadowed him for the parade for Mr. Irrelevant and all the different activities. And then uh, we were hanging out at, at, a, at a, like a little uh, restaurant right on the beach. And I hear these like five high school kids all talking about Alabama. And it turns out all five of them are going to Alabama. And I asked them why. They said, well, that's where winners go. <laughs> I, mean, wow. I was blown away. That? I was blown away. Do you, do you see many Alabama fans, Alabama students out there? Well, it's interesting. It's a great point. So a couple of years ago, I, I was up a little more into L.A., and I was asked by the Alumni Association of Alabama to speak to a, uh, some uh, prospective student-athletes. So I, I go to this event thinking there's a handful in there, and I walk in the room. There must have been 50 or 60 kids uh, that you know were showing interest in Alabama. I've got a ton of friends um, that, that live in California, and I think Alabama, the school, has done a great job of recruiting uh, students, uh, you know, not athletes, just your normal students. Um, and they're getting a high quality academic student, uh, that maybe just maybe wants to get away or, uh, maybe just didn't get into the UC system. So Alabama's done a great job, but there's kids everywhere, uh, in California and where we are here in Newport beach that, uh, really, really look at Alabama seriously. Mark, have you had a chance to see much of this year's Alabama basketball team? And, and go ahead and, and do a dive on the job you think Nate Oates has done. Well, I haven't watched him this year. Well, I watched glimpses a little bit of the Purdue game, but that's it. I really haven't had time, but I will. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of interest. I think he's done a great job. And, uh, you know, he's done a little bit differently than a lot of the coaches in the past. Um, you know, if you go back from really starting with CM, Newton, and then Wimp, and then you know, myself, it was really a program that was kind of, you know, focused on, you know, just not just the in-state uh, recruit, but, you know, in-state and then, you know, Jackson, Mississippi or Atlanta or, you know, somewhere in that area. Nate's done a great job of bringing in some really good players from other parts of the country. I think that football and the success that Nick has had, I think it's really helped um, because I think it's opened up some eyes of kids outside of the South uh, that might uh, look at Alabama a little bit differently and want to go there. So, um, but I think he's done a great job. You know, last year's team was just fun to watch, and uh, they just kind of ran into a grown man team in San Diego State. But um, you know, I hope they can get rolling this year pretty well. What are the unique challenges when you're coaching Alabama basketball? And uh, and again, just if you could do a deeper dive into what has made Nate Oates so successful in Tuscaloosa. Well, I think the first thing that's interesting about Alabama, and, uh, you know, I played there, obviously, so I, I, I was very, very familiar. And then, you know, being the head coach for 11 years, that's that's a good long time. And, 
you know, probably the thing that's the most interesting is getting used to being the basketball coach when the football team is just so popular. And it's just, you know, it, it dominates the majority of the fans, the media, the talk shows, you know, the discussions, you know, Alabama football, spring football, recruiting football. And quite honestly, I tell people all the time, probably my last two or three years as the head coach, I didn't handle that very well. I, you know, we had been ranked number one. We'd been in the Elite Eight. And uh, I got frustrated. And uh, looking back, you know, that was a really big mistake on my part. And I was frustrated because I felt like, you know, we were selling out the arena. It was really exciting. It was all good. But then I started letting that eat at me every every time. Like, you know, we, we need to get carpet in the locker room, guys. And, and that's a struggle or whatever it may be. And um, so it's just unique, you know, because football is so big and they've done so well. Then obviously with what, you know, Nick has done, um, it's taken it to another level. So it doesn't seem to me to, to appear that that bothers Nate. Um, he's never asked me, but um, that would be the thing because it's a great job and a great community, a great school. It's great everything. And uh, you can't let that kind of you know, creep in and, and bother you to a point where it affects you. And it probably did me there towards the end. Mark, uh, just a brief history for those of you that might not be aware, but you originally from Ohio, correct? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you went to Oral Roberts where you were like a yep. freshman All-American. But you transferred. You were a transfer mm-hmm. guy when that wasn't even mentioned. Uh, was mm-hmm. it a difficult process then? And how do you see the transfer portal moving forward now? Well, I, I've always told people sometimes transferring is good. It's it's good. It, it's like a bad marriage sometimes. You try your best, and then, you know, at some point, you hate to say it, but it may just not work. And so sometimes that's the same with transferring. Personally, my own personal opinion is I liked it when kids had to sit out. I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. I did it. I sat out. I matured. I spent a year in the weight room. I got better. I improved as a player. Um I became a fifth-year senior. I, I was in graduate school my last year there. I graduated after my, you know, junior athletic year because that was my fourth year of college. I don't think those things are bad things. So I'm not a fan right now of the, these kids hopping all around every year. It's frustrating. And I just don't know that it's the right message you always send to kids because I think right now it's so easy just to cut and run. You know, if it's not going my way, if, if I'm not playing or somebody beat me out, um, you know, it's so easy to transfer. And so I just don't think it's good. And if you can remember, you know, you know Matt, some of you guys may remember if you go way back, um, in 1985-86, uh, you know, our, our team was pretty good. And we added J.J. Jackson, who's done a great job as a high school basketball coach there. Sure J.J. Yeah. came in and transferred in from uh, West Texas State. He's a Montgomery guy. But J.J. Jackson was breathing down my neck every day of practice that he was going to take my starting position. And J.J. was so valuable to our team. You know, he came off the bench and we rotated around. But competition is what makes you better. And I just think this whole transfer thing, along with the NIL, doing it at the same time, uh, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan. I, I love the fact that kids can get some compensation. And uh, some guys deserve it. Uh, Bryce Young, if he's on Dr. Pepper commercial, hey, we all get it. But I think it's it's the unintended consequences that just made it very, very difficult for everybody to navigate. How much time of, uh, if you're a head coach, how much of your time is dedicated to uh, 
basically player acquisition and player uh, or maintaining the stability of your roster. And it just seems like that the, the, the coaches absolutely are just bogged down because uh, you're not spending as much time coaching as you are just trying to make sure you have all these uh, puzzle pieces fitting together. Well, you spend a lot of time, and I think even more time right now, with the NIL and the transfer portal. I told somebody this the other day, and I believe this with all my heart. If you took all professional sports right now, took pro basketball, pro baseball, pro football, pro hockey, pro all of them, and you said every player is a free agent every year. There is no contract. You have no idea who's going to be on your team next year. If your team starts to lose and guys get grumpy, I want to go play for a winning team. If somebody beats me out, I'm going to go play for that team over there. There's a spot for me over there. I can, you know, I can play it on that team. I can't play on this team. And it would be the equivalent of pro sports. That's what the NIL is in college athletics right now. It's it's professional sports with, with no contract. Zero. And so it's it's a mess. So years ago, and when I coached, the season would end, and you had about a month where you kind of had to re-recruit your own team, figure out, you know, who's going to stay. You know, half the guys on my team probably wanted to leave anyway. Uh, they didn't like it very much, maybe, but that's okay. But, you know, it's part of it. And now what happens is with the portal, kids don't even have to tell you they're leaving. They just put it in the – they put their name in the portal and announce it on Twitter, and, and you may never have a conversation with them again. So it, it's um, it's a completely different – kind of model right now and i think for coaches that i talk to that end of the year time period you know you take alabama's roster in football right now auburn's roster and all these rosters these coaches are going home every night they got no idea because the kid will say yeah i'm coming back coach they go home talk to mom talk to uncle talk to this person they say you know they come back say you know i'm going to the portal so it just makes it so much more fluid and i think it's really difficult um for coaches to kind of figure out who's going to be on your team every year. And I don't, I'm not sure that's a great thing. Mark Godfrey is our guest here on Big Noon Sports. I got to turn the pages back a few years. You played <laughs> on a lot of really good teams under Wimp, but none better than 86-87. And I'm just sitting here looking at your roster. You got Michael Angeli, you, Derek McKee. God, what a player. Terry Connor was one of the most underrated Ooh. point guards Alabama yep. ever had. Yep. Um, yep. And then you had Jumping Jim Farmer, Dudley, mm-hmm. J.J. Keith Askins was a freshman, went on to play 10 mm-hmm. years for the Heat. Uh, tell me a little bit about that team and uh, maybe just a touch about how Providence came in there. They could throw it in, they could throw it in a swing and thimble that ended your career. You know, Matt, it, it was such a – it was such a fun year, and, uh, you know, we were good the year before, and we lost Buck Johnson, and, you know, Buck was so good. He was just such a dominant player, and so we weren't sure, you know, that next year, Michael Ansley kind of stepped into that role, and uh, everybody got better. You know, Jim and I and uh, J.J. were all 50-year seniors, and then Terry was a, a fourth-year senior, Terry Connor, um, and so we, and, Jay, and uh, Derek was a junior, so we, we were an older team. We could all shoot it pretty well. And uh, it was just magical. And uh, I'm going to tell you a, a, a great thing that happened a couple months ago. I had to go back to Murray State uh, for a, an event they had for one of my teams there. And so I, I flew into Nashville. I got Jim Farmer. We hopped in the car, drove down to Birmingham, and we spent the day with uh, Coach Sanderson. I'm going to tell you guys, it was, as, it was as wonderful a day as I've ever had. And, you know, it's a guy like, you know, Coach, you know, you kind of forget – 
how good his teams were. And uh, we were sitting there having lunch, and he commented to us, you know, and, and uh, you know, that 10 of his 12 years as the head coach at Alabama, they were in the SEC championship game of the tournament, the championship game, 10 out of 12. And, you know, so that year, though, it just all came together, and uh, we just ran into a team that, you know, on that given night, uh, they were hot in a pistol and, you know, couldn't miss. And um, every time I see Billy Donovan somewhere, actually, I was in, in, the, in uh, Philly the other night and went to the Bulls game with him, and, and we were talking about it then, how he torched us uh, that night in uh, Louisville. So it's hard to get away from that one. That one hurts. Coach, do you have a, a, a player who really sticks out in your mind that you coached when you were at Alabama? Not necessarily a favorite player but, or best player, but just someone who has kind of stuck with you through all these years. Well, you know, Mo Williams and I have always stayed close. He was actually on my staff out here in my last coaching stint. And, uh, and so, you know, I've always, Mo and I have been close. But so many of those guys, I tell people all the time, like, you take Irwin Dudley and Chuck Davis, uh, Rod Grizzard, uh, and you talk about wonderful, wonderful people. Forget players. I mean, we had so many that were like that. Demetrius Smith, high school basketball coach now, just a phenomenal Jay, you know, we had so many um, good players that were wonderful people. Some of the guys I, I wish would have hung around one more year, uh, I think they would have had long-term pro careers like Kennedy Winston, just one year, I think short, uh, Rod Grizzard, one year short, just one more year. And I think those guys would have had careers in the NBA. They just might not have been ready. Um, but we just had great guys and we recruited strong character kids. We, we never wanted to, uh, undervalue that. And, um, so many of those guys have gone on to just become unbelievable citizens. So, that makes you feel really, really good as a coach. We'll let you go in a second here, Mark, but what do you remember most about the team that ran through the Elite Eight when you were coaching? Oh, there's so many things. Um, you know, Antoine Bedway always tells the story. We, we were getting ready to tip it up against Syracuse in the Sweet 16, and, you know, I brought them all together over there, and, and uh, we had just broke the huddle. They were walking out for the jump ball, and I said, come back here, guys. And we all they all came over there. Antoine tells a story so good. I said, take a look over there. And they, we looked down to Syracuse's bench. I said, I don't see Carmelo Anthony down there anymore. And uh, <laughs> there was a big smile on their face, and uh, Petway jumped up and hit the first three of the game. And, and uh, you know, we were, we were able to beat the defending national champs. We just had to play a, a phenomenal UConn team, but that team had so much um, kind of never quit. Our record wasn't that great going into the tournament. But, boy, did they get playing well at the end, and uh, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun to watch, too. And, uh, that was the year UAB went to uh, Sweet That's 16. Right. All the teams in Alabama that year were just knocking people down. And, they, were, they had that little great guard, Mo Finley, and uh, yeah, he was a good one. Yeah, he hit the jumper against Kentucky. Yep. I was doing their broadcast back then, and man, that was that was so much fun. Uh, yep. Mark, wrap it up. What's one thing you really, really still like about college basketball? Well, I still like the age of the kids. You know, I mean, it's it's still you know the the NBA, which I love the NBA, but you know, it's an adult league and it's a grown up man's league, and you know, college basketball still 
Um, you've got the great, you know, in the tournament, it's still the greatest show on earth. I used to tell my team that you can tell me about the Super Bowl and, you know, all that, but the tournament, the brackets, uh, everybody does a bracket. Every person in the whole office does a bracket and everywhere and people are interested. So that's never going to go away, I hope. And, uh, it'll always kind of be special for college basketball. All right, Elijah. I got to ask you one more question since you spent the day with Jim Farmer. Uh, man, he's he played some in the NBA, and then was he a country music star? And then he went on to modeling. What's he doing now? Jim and his wife uh, own a couple salons there in Nashville. They've done very, very well. And uh, and Jim is just he's really you know he's had a couple bumps in the road. He had to fight some uh, difficult cancer at one point in time. And he and I've always stayed close. And uh, you know, we, we were roommates together in Bryant Hall for four years, and uh, those rooms were so small, we always joked we could reach out and hold hands if we wanted to in, uh, in bed. The beds were so close together, but we, we became great friends, and uh, he's just uh, he's doing a wonderful – he's just really doing well. Mark, thanks for your time. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, and let's get, uh, let's get into the SEC schedule and uh, bring you back on. It's been a lot of fun. Any, anytime, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. All right. There's Mark Godfrey living a life in California. But, uh, man, he had a very, very successful coaching career. Man, I think, Lars, here's a stat for you. Yep. I think Mark Godfrey ended his college career 47% three-point rank. That sounds like, uh, that, that sounds like Lars Anderson. Yeah, well, Lars Anderson in the New York <laughs> Times published the Fair League or whatever you play. <laughs> the Press League. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. SI right. going against hey. New York Times. We'll take a break and we'll wrap up this Friday edition of Big Noon Sports brought to you by Laurelie Thompson, the Bama Broker. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. We always have really good guests on the show, but I really uh, enjoyed having longtime television sportscaster, broadcaster out of Birmingham, Rick Carley, and just wrapped up a delightful conversation with Mark Gottfried. So all is well in the old uh, guest list uh, as we wrap up the first week of 2024. Um, I don't know if it was you or Lars that put this on our uh, thread, but Philip Montgomery, did you see this? Wyatt, that Philip Montgomery is gone? Yeah, I saw Auburn. that. 
he he was only there for one season, and I guess Hugh Freeze didn't like his offense. Well, I didn't like what I saw in Nashville. I don't you know. Did, what? The game against New Mexico State was laughable. Were they running Hugh Freeze's offense, or did he give Philip Montgomery the whole the whole shebang? I got to think he had been doing the majority of the play calling for them to go ahead and let him go. But um, I wonder what that means further down the road. Is what? Hugh Freeze going to put the headsets back on and start calling plays? What do you it, think? Really and truly, it, it almost felt like Jimbo Fisher making a offensive change last year. It was like we, you, they hired Bobby Petrino, but everybody was saying, this is Jimbo's offense. Like, why are we – it almost feels like a – just kind of a – like a window dressing, basically. Like, yes, he is the offensive coordinator, technically speaking, but but they're running Hugh Freeze's offense. And so it's Hugh Freeze that's not quite able to develop the offense like they were wanting to. And Peyton Thorne just did not take the steps that they thought he would. You know, um, Peyton Thorne, when he was on and playing very well, like he did against Georgia and Alabama, um, I wouldn't say he's the best quarterback in the SEC, but he, at least he was kind of maintaining that mid-level um, but the other side of this, I really hesitate to talk too badly about college players, but when he was bad, he was real bad. And I, I don't know if that was a result of bad play calling or uh, is he just a guy that runs hot and cold. So um, we'll see soon enough. Um, also, I, I guess this came out last night, and we hadn't talked about it yet, Wyatt, but Deontay Lawson is staying. Um, in my mind not just due to his ability to play linebacker, but how smart he is and how he makes the calls. That's huge for this Alabama defense, especially one that's going to lose so many in the secondary. Absolutely. They're losing seven defensive starters once you add in Tresman Marshall entering the entering the draft. You can argue whether or not he was a starter, but at, at the end of the day, it starters were announced pregame. Tresman Marshall's name was always up there, so I, I tended to call him a starter, but... Lawson coming back is going to be huge. To have a veteran presence who now has a full season of starting experience under his belt at the linebacker position is just huge. And then you get uh, just a freak athlete at linebacker with Jihad Campbell standing next to him. And it's going to be it's going to be one of the best wide – or not wide receiver, excuse me. It's going to be one of the best linebacker duos in the country. Got to have an edge guy, though, now. Who you think is going to jump in there? Uh, maybe determined here. To be determined. I tend to think that uh, Coach Saban's going to go with a veteran in that in that position. So you're looking at probably Quindarius Robinson, who's been with mm-hmm. this program for years. And I saw a stat the other day. It's not true anymore. But uh, at one point, the only player that was guaranteed to be on the roster that had a national championship ring was Quindarius Robinson. This was when we all thought Malachi was leaving and, and everybody else was leaving. But at, at one point, we were only going to have one player with a national championship ring sitting on his desk, still on the roster. What's the word in Tuscaloosa about Malachi Moore hanging around? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, a very, it's very helpful considering the secondary is going to be very inexperienced when it comes to games, games started. Uh, Caleb Downs was going to be the most experienced player in that secondary, I believe, other wow. than uh, Trey Amos, who didn't start a game here in Tuscaloosa. He started for a couple, or he started a season in Louisiana, but Sun Belt competition versus SEC competition is is considerably different, as as a lot of people like to say. With that, so just to be able to have Malachi Moore, who's now got 
He started his freshman season, played intermittently his sophomore and junior year, and then started every game this season when he was healthy. So just to have that veteran presence is going to be just crucial for that defense. Yeah, Moore and Lawson coming back is, is really big, as you mentioned, for a team that's losing so many starters. So. Arguably your two and best so. communicators on defense, too, with Lawson and, and Malachi. And um, I unfortunately, uh, there were times in the game against Michigan that even those guys were a, a little confused. Or maybe it was everybody around them that was confused. <laughs> but uh, that was tough. Uh, Michigan moved Alabama around a lot and got them in situations where Alabama just left guys wide open. They, but, um, they did. It, it seemed just really uncharacteristic. I remember watching uh, – I've – I've unfortunately made the decision to go back and watch that game. I was about halfway, th- I was about around halftime before I had to come up and produce this show. But uh, that first touchdown to Blake Corum, Lawson's pointing, telling Caleb Downs, hey, you need to run with him. You need to go that way. And Downs just doesn't read it or doesn't pick up on it in time. And, of course, Blake Corum just basically walks into the end zone whenever he runs that little out route on the first touchdown. He's a heck of a back, by the way, in case you haven't noticed. He is, and I'm not discrediting Michigan there. They're phenomenal. Who have you got Monday night? Who are you thinking? I've it's been back I've been kind of back and forth on it you know Michigan plays a really physical ball game and and I was just like everybody else to me I was thinking oh well Washington's not going to be able to handle Texas they're not going to be able to handle the physicality and then Texas has the offense to keep up I, I was I picked Texas last week or this or earlier this week but I, I think I'm gonna go Washington here for the national championship that that offense I don't know if Michigan's going to be able to score like like they'll need to they can but I just don't know if they'll be able to if they'll be able to keep up. Michigan will take, you know, a, they'll extend the clock and run run their game plan and score, and then Washington's just going to turn around and Michael Penix is going to fit a ridiculous pass to Romo Dunes or somebody in that wide receiver room and, and tie the game up half with half the speed that Michigan does. You know, Michigan would be, uh, well, if they could get the kind of pressure that they got on Jalen Milrow in the first half, but even when Penix, this is the thing I was watching against in the Texas game where he, he lit the Longhorns up for 430 yards through the air, 76% passing completion and two touchdowns, that when they forced that guy out of the pocket, he still made these unbelievably th- th- oh, these throws that had so much mustard on them. But they, he would thread the needle between two and sometimes three defenders, and his wide receivers would bring it in. So even when you get him in the pocket, force him to get outside the pocket, he's still as accurate as he is just standing back there and picking everybody apart. So um, he's the real difference. If Michigan can somehow contain him, maybe keep him under 300 yards, (laughs) then then perhaps they got a chance. He's got such a weird throwing motion. And and if you go back, like if you go back and slow down the, the videos of him throwing, it almost looks like he's shot putting this ball which you wouldn't think would have a ton of velocity and a ton of heat on it, but he's dropping he's dropping dimes 40 yards downfield to these wide receivers in between making throws that if I was a quarterback coach, I'd be crucifying my quarterback, yelling at him, saying, why are you throwing it into double coverage? Why are you doing this? You know you're not supposed to, but for Michael Penix, you can't say anything because it works. It does. Um and but he has had a couple of games where whether he be flustered or just kind of off his game, 
where he's thrown a couple of crucial interceptions. But guess what happened? They won anyway. They won anyways. But that's why I picked Texas because, like you said, there's been games where he gets pressured, he gets flustered, and then all of a sudden he throws some bad he throws some bad picks, doesn't quite hit the reads like he's supposed to, and then like you but they squeak out the wins, they they kick the field goal, they get the conversion to secure the win, and they're they're playing Monday night and and we're not. So they they must have been doing something right. Yep. I really thought we were going to get an Alabama-Texas rematch. We got just the opposite. You got uh, Michigan and Washington, one and two in the college football playoff committee's eyes. Um, we got to uh, get in our final break, and when we come back, we'll uh, continue our chat with Wyatt. You listen to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Up on the game with Ryan Fowler. Coming up on the Thursday edition of the game, we'll feature Aaron Torres, Fox Sports National Analyst, Rodney Orr, TiderInsider.com. Plus, your phone calls will cover Alabama wall-to-wall. Right here on the game, Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. The longest-running sports program in Tuscaloosa. The game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Increasingly cloudy this afternoon. Rain becoming widespread tonight across Alabama. The high today, 54. Tonight's low, 42. Tomorrow, rain ending early in the day. The clouds will linger through the afternoon hours. The high at 55. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 54 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More big noon sports coming up. Matt, Lars, Wyatt, all wrapping up this chilly Friday afternoon. Just saw this come down about an hour ago from Athlon Sports. They have uh, they've already got Vegas odds on teams they think will win the national championship. You want to take a guess on who they think is number one? My shot in the dark here is going to be Georgia. It's not a shot in the dark. That's spot on. You hit the target. You know who's next? Bama. Uh, keep keep going. You are on a Michael Penix pinpoint <laughs> run here. Oh, I'm uh, about to lose who do you think? Uh, let's see. And, and I'm not sure what the numbers mean. Georgia is a plus 400. Alabama is a plus 550. Who do you think next is? Texas. They, you are really close. They are fourth. Who's third? Third... I'm not entirely sure who it could be. There could be a lot of options. Uh, oh, Michigan. Actually, it's the their rival, Ohio State. Really? I thought Michigan would be there, too. All right, uh, let me go through the top ten. Yeah. This is uh, according to FD Sportsbook National Championship Odds. This actually says 2025, but i got to think that's a typo. Georgia, plus 400. Alabama, plus 550. Ohio State, plus 700. Texas is plus 850. And Michigan is fifth at plus 1,000. Oregon, plus 1,200, even though they won't have Bo Nix. Um, LSU, plus 1,500. How about Ole Miss, eighth the Vegas odds of winning the national championship. 
wonder if they did this before Judkins decided he was going to transfer. Um, Florida State, ninth, and Notre Dame, tenth. They're your odds for making uh, winning the national championship next year. It's going to be different, though, Wyatt, because there'll be 12 teams. And I think it was announced uh, maybe as early as this morning or something that uh, of the 12 teams, they're going to do it a five and seven. Did you see that, that the five automatics would be conference champs? I did see that. I'm, I'm, interested, to, I'm interested to see if they're going to change that with any at all, considering the, the Pac-12 is now the Tupac. But um, I don't know if... I don't know if, I mean, are we just going to have Oregon State or Washington State in the playoffs every year whenever they finally do win whatever that conference is? Or are they going to change it and maybe say, okay, well, really, you've got a power four instead of a power five now. So just the power four champions will get the bye. And then you get, uh, I guess, the two pack or the Mountain West, whatever they want to call themselves over there out there right now. And then the AA or in the biggest group of five champion and just decide, hey, these are going to be your your six automatic bids, quote-unquote, and then you'll get six wild cards, which will more than likely just be the teams that lost the conference championship. You know, mathematically, if they do this 5-7, I don't know how they're going to do the play-ins. Are are all the teams going to play in the first round, or will the top four get buys? Top fours get buys, and I actually think that might be – everybody talks about getting that extra rest, but I think we saw it with Alabama this season in that sometimes when you've got the hot hand, you want to keep playing. Alabama was the one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country, heading uh, just after the conference championship, and then we sat around – and then they sat around for a month and got cold. Meanwhile, you know, teams were able to rest up. Teams were able to game plan, and Alabama, who was riding a hot hand, kind of kind of got a little – got a little chilly there so you know i think alabama would have gotten a bye and so they wouldn't have got they wouldn't have played the first week so they would have been sitting a little bit extra longer so i think that would have hurt them but i i think getting the bye almost actually hurts because the first round of the playoffs is going to be played in home stadiums so december 20th and december 21st of 2024 now we're in the year of the 12 team coming up yeah uh the first four playoff games are going to be played in home stadiums I like that. I, I like agree. it a lot, actually, because you know what it costs now for a college football fan to follow their team. Well, I mean, like Michigan and Washington are doing. Man, that gets expensive. Absolutely. I mean, if you were if you're an Alabama fan next season, and it is your goal to go to every game. First off, props to you. Uh, <laughs> second off, you're going to be traveling to Wisconsin, Norman, Oklahoma, um, Baton Rouge. Where else? Uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and that's before we touch Atlanta for the SEC championship if Alabama ends up going, or a playoff game in Dallas or Atlanta, and then the national championship. I, I think it's in Atlanta again. I think the national championship's in Atlanta for for this next season, but playoff game in Miami. I, that's right. I mean, the amount of traveling that you've got to do if you're a fan of these teams, it's it's a lot. It is. And uh, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how the other eight teams finish. I'm trying to look up the college football um, final rankings. See uh, just who might who might have been eligible had the twelve opened this year. Um, it would have been it would have been of course the four team that we got uh, Georgia and Florida State. And then Ole Miss, 
Penn State. Missouri. Missouri would have gotten in, yep. And then I think it would have been Ole Miss, Penn State, and then... Oklahoma. Maybe Oregon. Oregon would have made it. And then Liberty Oregon. for being the, the highest-ranked group of five teams. So, I mean, but we we basically saw how all those games would play out. Oregon smoked Liberty. Ole Miss and Penn State were in a little bit of a fun offensive game, but, but at the end of the day, Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin had kind of took the cake there. And then we all witnessed what I guess you can call that a bowl game between Georgia and Florida State, whatever happened in that. And then Michigan outplayed Michigan outplayed Alabama and Texas and Washington was one of the best playoff games I've watched in a long time. Still uh still got my arms up about the sixty three to three or so. Kirby doesn't shy away from laying it on somebody when he got him on the ropes. At, uh, no, he doesn't. I think there might have been a better way to kind of roll that score back a little bit. But, you know, he said before he was going to make a statement, and by golly, he went out there, and he sure as heck made a statement. So, uh, yo, that's all water under the bridge now. We just have two teams remaining. It's Michigan at 14-0 and and Washington at 14-0. and Who's your pick? Um, that is... Gee, can I wait till Monday? I go back and forth and back and forth. But I'll tell you right now, I'm leaning in Washington's favor. And, yeah, I'm not the biggest Michigan fan in the world. But I also think it'd be cool somebody kind of outside the big four or five won a national championship. Now that Alabama's not in it, I'm fine with Washington winning the national championship. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it would definitely be uh – I think it would be good for sure for somebody other than the big four. Everybody talks about it. It's Bama, it's Georgia, it's Michigan, and it's Ohio State. And then you get some of these wild cards in here. I, I'm not just rooting for Washington because uh, I'm not just rooting for Washington because Michigan did what they did to Alabama. But really and truly, I, I like when some of these. I don't want to call them a Cinderella story because they were the number two seed, but some of these outlier teams, some of these teams that you don't necessarily see always in the hunt, end up in the hunt. I was. I was rooting hard for TCU once I figured out that they made it last year. You know, they TCU made it in over Bama, and I said, "All right, TCU, let's well, go get them. Let's ride all the way. Let's ride all the way to Los Angeles." And they did until about five minutes to go in that first quarter, and then it was over. <laughs> yeah, boy, and look what happened to them this year. Hey, um, thank you, thank you for a week's job well done, Wyatt. Have a great weekend, and Monday we'll talk as we get ready to watch the national championship game from Houston. Have a great weekend. This is a special-